Good work, boys. That was easier than I thought it was gonna be. Hey, look, guys. I crafted toaster. I love your work ethic, Tommy. It's an inspiration to us all. Welcome to And Why Not, the movie podcast and the nerds who haunted themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and I love movies, which is lucky because each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a movie they love and see where the conversation takes us from there. Whether you're a regular listener or just dropping by for this episode, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. I hope you enjoyed the film talk and, as always, and if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the And Why Not Facebook group, or wherever you see this episode posted. For this episode, I'm joined by Stacey Taylor as we take a look at the 2007 animated Ninja Turtles reboot, TMNT. Just a quick note to say, we recorded this episode on a particularly stormy evening, so the sound goes a little bit squiffy at a couple of points early in the episode, but it clears up after that, so hopefully it won't detract too much from your enjoyment. You can still hear what's being said, but there's just a little bit of noise on it, and it breaks up a little bit and goes a bit roboty. But yeah, it's just a minor thing, and hopefully you still enjoy the episode. So now, with all that introduction stuff out of the way, and an advance warning on spoilers, let's roll the trailer. There's a legendary group of warriors that travels under the cover of darkness and fights for all those in need. But they have never been needed more than right now. You did see that up there? I've got a bad feeling. Between two worlds, every 3,000 years, the stars align, unleashing an army of monsters. That can't be good. Beyond our universe. Within hours, we'll lose the city, and within weeks, the world. There is a brotherhood. Attack is one! That cannot be broken. Destroy them. Aren't you cute? You want a butt-kicking little fella? Hey! play to that thing that hit us last night it looked like your mom dude <laughs> yeah that would make her your mom too doofus nut hello stace how are you i'm all right thanks that was me being very british because i'm not really very all right but i don't want to talk about it on the podcast i don't want to bring everybody down so yeah i'm great thanks how are you <laughs> That's what I do. Like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm one of those <laughs> terrible like, people yeah. that when I go to the doctor, I've made an appointment, I'm going to the doctor for a specific reason. The doctor goes, how are you then? And I'll go, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, not too bad. Don't, yeah, what am I even here for? <laughs> I'm great. Oh, this thing that's hanging off me. Yeah, no, that's fine. It's a bit annoying. I mean, all this, all this blood. No, don't worry about it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm absolutely fine. How are you today? Has <laughs> anybody checked in with you? Just stop making a fuss. <laughs> popped in for a chat but but yeah no that's it it's yeah i say i just 
I don't know. I don't like people feel, feeling like people are kind of like, oh. Yeah, it's, well, you know, and, or, thing, and or, some or things happen like, in my improv. Or such a moany prick. <laughs> yeah, like, it's one of those things. I mean, I'm a very open book. I'll tell anyone anything I will. Like, that's why I'm on so many podcasts, because I just love talking. But there are some things that people just don't need to know about you, and it's hmm. fine. I can just, yeah. <laughs> I can talk about other things, like turtles, relentlessly. Like and, um, yeah, all that's the it. time talking turtles. Which is funny, because... <laughs> As we sit here with our turtles toys behind us, obviously, respectively, we're not sharing a collection. <laughs> I dug my turtles t-shirt out. Excellent. So. I'm enjoying it. Right then, yes. So we are talking about 2007's TMNT, or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so as some sweet. lazy people called it. Uh, so, <laughs> written and directed by Kevin Munro, based on characters created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, starring... Of the people who got their names on the posters, on the poster, Chris Evans, Sarah Michelle Geller. This is our second episode in a row with Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh, Mako, Kevin Smith, how the did he get on the poster based on the role he had in the film? Patrick Stewart and Zhang Zi. And it's narrated by Lawrence Fishburne. And not listed on the poster are the four turtles. Any of the turtles? Are Mit uh, Mitchell Whitford, James Arnold Taylor, who's Obi-Wan Kenobi in The Clone Wars. Mikey Kelly as Michelangelo, and Nolan North, Uncharted himself, as Raphael. So, released in cinemas on the 23rd of March 2007 in the US and the UK. Grossed $95,802,916 worldwide on an estimated budget of $34 million, according to IMDb. So, it made a decent profit. I don't know how much advertising nice. then on top. But, uh, I couldn't find a Rodri review, a Barry Norman review, or an Empire review for the film, but of the reviews I did find from people that I'm not overly familiar with, it seems to be that the film had mostly mixed to negative reviews. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but then it was never, I don't know, was it ever going to be a crowd pleasing? I don't think any of the Turtles movies from film critics got particularly good reviews. No, um, I pitched this movie to you because I personally love it. Um, but I will say I can wholeheartedly accept negative opinions of it because a lot of it is stupid and or nonsense. Uh, <laughs> there's so much of this movie that doesn't make a lick of sense and lots of context that is left out. Uh, when we start talking about it proper, I'll get more into it. But, like, yeah, I'm not surprised that it didn't go down very well critically um, because it's not... It, I don't feel like it knows what it was trying to do, even. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll get into it a bit more. I think that there's a lot of elements there, but none of them particularly gel together. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's almost like they're kind of like, meander, meander, meander. Oh, balls, we should probably wrap this up. Um, big yeah. fight. Skybeam. But <laughs> before yeah. before we get into that, what are your memories of first seeing it? Was it a cinema job or a video it was a cinema job. So uh, way back in 2007, I was uh, about two years into dating my then boyfriend, now husband, and we got Cineworld cards, other cinemas and loyalty cards are available. Uh, we've got Cineworld cards. So we were in the, in the kind of mood where we would go and see almost anything. <laughs> Date night, cinema. Um, so... And I've always been like a huge fan of the turtles. That's like one of the things that nearly everybody who's ever even briefly encountered me knows immediately is 
she's a bit of a turtle to at this one um <laughs> so I said to my hubby can we go see it and he was like of course we can because we've got senior world cards so even if it's crap it's technically free for us so it doesn't matter um so I went to see it at the cinema and he thought it was all right and I came out like absolutely buzzing even though there are plot holes the size of Texas that we'll get into and a lot of questionable things <laughs> occur in it um and then I made my mom go and see it with me again about two weeks later at the cinema as well um because I am a bit of a bully uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie as well I did cry at this film in the cinema the first time I saw it and I will be fair, that baffles me now as a 38-year-old lady because even though I am still a person who cries at, at movies, there's, like, barely any angst in this film and I don't know why I cried at the bit that I did. Um, so, I, yeah, it was... It, I loved it at the time. I would have, yeah, happily. What I will say, though, is that the Wii version of the video game that came out for this was so bad it put me off the movie for a little bit and I didn't... I didn't watch it for a good few years after that because I was so cross. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard the game wasn't great. Um, it was a cinema job for me. I, that's what I was looking for before we started, my cinema stub. Um, so, yeah, I saw it on day of release at 10 past two. Nice. At my, at my local world of cine. Um, I'm sure I dragged my wife to it, but she has no memory of it. But she's not a reliable narrator when it comes to remembering yeah. things she's watched either at the cinema or owns or watched on telly the night before oh, she's the woman who went there was a good film i saw i thought we should watch and i'll go oh cool what was it don't know what is it what was it on what's it don't about? Know. was it on Who's netflix it? no know. amazon no i am the kind of person who had to get a letterboxd account simply because uh, I had quite frequently rewatched films thinking I'd never seen them before and not really realised until the very end. Uh, and then thinking, I didn't even like this. And I've watched it twice now. So I had to get Letterboxd just so I could make sure that I didn't end up rewatching movies I hate. <laughs> See, the problem I have is that I'm convinced I've seen movies and then I watch them and I'm like, I don't remember anything about this. So I've either completely erased it or I've never seen it. We watched Event Horizon for, we were doing the 31 Day Horror Challenge uh, a, a la The Prompts by um, Nightmare on Film Street podcast this year. And one of the prompts was like, you know, t t scares in space or something along those lines. So we popped on Event Horizon and I got literally to almost the exact end and went, oh, I've seen this. <laughs> it was like two minutes from the end. And I was like, I already know what happens here absolute donkey i am <laughs> i don't know how i forgot it because it's a really memorable scary movie but anyway yeah with a great um, something and connected to this because it's got larry fishburne in it it has i call, and I call him larry, larry fishburne you know, old larry fishbizzles uh <laughs> his narration in this is weird though the the whole everything voice acting wise is weird in this and that's not to rag on any of the voice actors in particular although i will rag on one later sorry um but i think this movie was fairly wildly miscast um or just all around uh aside from uh mako iwamatsu who played splinter who i think was absolutely wonderful yeah um that's pretty much I the think... only voice note i've got in the positive is actually no i think the turtles are fine as well well, see, I, I like their performances in terms of 
the way they deliver the things that they're saying. I don't like their voices for the characters at all because they sound like middle-aged men. Like, so I read uh, an article that said that in this film is like loosely based. It's a loose sequel to the original live-action '90s trilogy of movies. Yeah. So the idea reports, is that it isn't there that it was ignored two and three and was just a follow-up to the first one but then when splinter puts the thing in at the end you've got the ooze canister from two you've got the time scepter yeah um so the idea is is that in this film they're supposed to be like 18 19 like the you know late teens kind of thing but i've never heard a person say more like he's about to hunker down and do his taxes than donatello's voice in this <laughs> uh people might know uh, mitchell whitfield as barry the orthodontist from friends yeah. um it's a very typical oh i'm a nerd me voice um which and I think he do, he, he delivers all of the lines well, but like all of them to me sound like they're in their mid forties, <laughs> except maybe Mikey. It's probably about thirty five. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think all the turtle films were a little bit guilty of that for me. So I was kind of used mm. to it, um, and I also grew up in the age where you had forty year olds playing high schoolers in American programs and films. So um, yeah. I mean, that's that. it wasn't until Mutant Mayhem where I was like, they've actually cast teenagers. Yeah, and it really works. Yeah. Oh, I imagine that. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think, like, the voice acting is one of the genuine problems I have with this movie. Okay, so just to preface this, I need to tell everybody that I do actually really genuinely enjoy this movie. I Every time I put it on, I have fun. Uh, it's, you know, like a zippy, snappy story. It doesn't fart around. I have a really good time with it. But nearly every single note I've written down is me going, what the F? Uh, why is this happening? <laughs> some some flavour of complaint. <laughs> So, but I need to preface this by saying that I do genuinely love this movie, and a lot of these are like just silly little nitpicks. But the voice acting is probably one of the bigger problems I have with it. I'm gonna get murdered on the internet for this. I do not rate Sarah Michelle Gellar as an actress at all, and I think she's even worse as a voice actress. There's nothing to her performance that is even vaguely interesting or endearing to me in this film, and that brings the whole thing down for me because. She's almost more important in this movie than like Donnie or Mikey are, <laughs> uh, which is also another thing that bothers me. But that's just me generally having to be in my bonnet about how much attention Leah and Raph get because I'm a bit of a Donnie fan gal. <laughs> um, but yeah, like her performance particularly rolls me up. Like, I don't understand why they got Laurie Fishburne to do the narration when they could have had just Patrick Stewart's character do it. It's not. Or Mako. Uh, uh, Mako, sorry. Yeah, uh, uh, you uh, know, a, like... A splinter narration, it's just... Yeah, it's, uh, it's bizarre to me that they chose to add that in. And he definitely... Because I'm normally somebody who... I could listen to Lawrence Fishburne, like, read the phone book. Yeah. I think he's got a wonderful voice. And he's a brilliant actor. Like, I, I, everything that I've seen him in live action, I think he's great. But I'd, it felt to me like that performance of that narrative bit was, like, tacked on like a couple of months later or something like our oh, oh, pants we just we need a bit of we need a bit of waffle it um oh lawrence is here should we just slap him on a mic and yeah just it felt like a student though? especially as he doesn't do the end narration it's leonardo yeah. isn't it it or is what, it uh yeah. or it might or be raf it's raf i think yeah so yeah it, it it feels really incongruous because you're like well what's 
who's this guy? Why is he here? <laughs> and and like I say, like the bit that he narrates is sort of the history of Patrick Stewart's character, which I suppose they couldn't have him do it because the idea is, is that you're not really supposed to put two and two together about him being who he is until a bit later in the movie. But it's not a surprising reveal, even a tiny bit, because he's the only other character in it that's not one of the turtles, April Casey, Splinter or Karai. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, Again, I, where well, I've used this term already, but the voices just didn't really gel with the characters for me. Like I said, I was yeah. more accepting of the turtles than you are, and with the exception of Mako as Splinter, who I think was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely perfect, yeah. You know, they actually got an Asian actor yep. to play that part instead of, you know, whoever doing, let's face it. Yeah, with not an cool accent. Accents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am... I, um, I, I don't mind Chris Evans, I suppose, but it's it felt... What's weird about it is it felt kind of stunt-casty, like, ooh, Chris Evans, Sarah Michelle Gellar, let's get them on the poster. But I can't imagine any people in 2007 that would be that excited about that, that it would draw you into the cinema. But I don't really understand stunt-casting anyway because I remember seeing when it got announced that James Corden was going to be Peter Rabbit. And I was like, what child is going, oh, can we see the Peter Rabbit movie? James Corden's in it. Like, higher yeah. actual voice actors. It's been that with <laughs> it. I mean, it was... Robin Williams with Aladdin, wasn't it, is what really kicked it off. Because mm. I know that he was mm. very angry that they sold it on the fact it was him doing the voice of Genie. Yeah. Because he didn't want it to be that kind of thing. And since then, I mean, you've got to look at... you only got to look at a lot of the DreamWorks movies. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, you know, Will Smith Shark Tale. It's all the stunt casting yeah. kind of thing. Like I say, Kevin Smith is on the poster and he has like that, two lines. Um, most that of that fully blew my audible. mind. That, that fully blew my mind when you said it and that the turtles weren't on there because, like I say, as much as I don't think the turtles' voices match the characters, their actual voice acting and delivery is like a thousand percent better than anyone else in that yeah. movie aside from Mako because. They are all like voice actors. I mean, Nolan North, I absolutely adore. I think he's flipping fabulous. And I, I enjoy his wrath, but he does sound like a, you know, 40 year old man. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, I, I, it's difficult for me because I've always been somebody who likes to advocate for like voice actors over actor actors because yeah. um, it's actually like a really different skill. It's helpful to know how to do one to be able to do the other. Um, but but voice acting is actually really flipping hard. I don't think people realise how hard it is, to be honest. Um, and it's it's like the big one for me that really illustrates this was Marvel's What If, where Sebastian Stan can't even voice act the character he actually plays in the Marvel yeah. Universe in a cartoon. Like it's and he's quite a good actor. Like I don't really have a problem with Sebastian Stan. I think he's quite good. Um so it's like I will always be much more pro you know, hiring people. And I'm willing to eat my words when somebody turns out to, when a stunt caster turns out to be good, like Jack Black as Bowser, like that was fantastic. So I'll eat all of my words. It's fine. Um, But like, yeah, I just don't understand, like with stuff like this as well. I don't know what the mood was for Turtles in 2007, really, because I was sort of in that period where I hadn't watched the 2003 show, which was still running when this came out. Because I was in that that 
that weird little time in my life where I'm like, well, I'm too, I'm too old now for cartoons. I've got to stop being a child. Uh, and I hadn't quite hit that period where I was like, what am I doing? Cartoons are amazing and I want to read comics. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I hadn't, hadn't quite got, you know. So I don't know whether like people were really chomping at the bit for this film or whether they were like, no, we've got to get Sarah Michelle Gellar, we've got to get Chris Evans, we've got to get, got to get Patrick Stewart, we've got to get the names in. Well, yeah, because you uh, think people would come to this because it's a Turtles movie. A bit like people would go to see a Superman or a Batman movie because it's Superman, Batman, not because it's mm. Christian Bale as Batman, for example. So yeah. why they've always tended to go for unknowns or lesser-known actors for those roles. Mm. Um, I, I'm, somebody's going to be screaming it anyway, but Mutant Mayhem is guilty of having the celebrity voices as well. But I think yes, it is. it's a different conversation, but I think it works better there. My thing for this is it feels a bit like when they get by those European animations and then just chuck a American celebrity voice cast on it. It doesn't quite fit. Yeah. Patrick Stewart, his voice doesn't match the character. That's the big one for me. And I kind of justified it in my head of like the guy's like 3,000 years old, so he's going to sound like an old man. But at the same time... Yeah. And again... He looks like kind of like Mr. Incredible. Yeah. Uh... That's it. He looks like it should be Craig T. Nelson doing his voice. Or the uh, the thing that gets me about Patrick Stewart, and this is entirely my fault and not the film, so I can't I can't put the blame on them, is that he's got one of those voices that's too recognisable to me. There are a few people that have this problem where I can't divorce the actual person from the voice that I'm hearing, especially if they're doing just their own natural voice, which Patrick Stewart absolutely is. Um, so I just couldn't gel the. The, the character design with that voice in my head because I'm I'm thinking of Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Um, you wanted like a Jason I had the same, or somebody like that. I had the same problem when Seth Green took over as Leo in the 2012 TV show after Jason Biggs left because he just sounds like Seth Green and I couldn't. I was like, "You're not Leonardo." Like I can't. Like what? Who's this now? <laughs> yeah, I like uh, it when somebody's like, "You know, that was Jason Biggs playing Leonardo," and you're like, "What?" <laughs> The pie effort. Absolutely mad. Yeah. Yeah. Don't look too deeply into his past children who are discovering the 2012 show anew. Uh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, I mean, I don't share the same feelings with you about Sarah Michelle Gellar, but then I base most of that on Buffy and my love See, of that show. It's see um, that I, I was never really into Buffy and then I came into it late and I just don't think she's very good. So many people. Yeah, no, no, that's that's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm never going to be like, you know, you are wrong for thinking that. Um, Chris Evans at least doesn't sound like Chris Evans for some of it. He sounds a bit more like they wanted him to do a Keanu Reeves, which doesn't so, feel like Casey for me. No, every now and again, he does something that reminds me of, of Lucas Lee. <laughs> <laughs> from scott pilgrim like there's a there's a bit where he's like trying to be a bit like suave and so i can't remember exactly what the line is but he's trying to be like oh yeah babe all right mm. and he comes off like a bit like cool and suave but for the rest of it to me he just sounds like chris evans but he does a fine enough job but again it's not really it doesn't feel very casey to me either yeah. um nobody yeah it's, like, a, it's a weird little cast nobody's, nobody's like awful in genuinely this terrible yeah it, um, nobody's, nobody's really right either, except Splinter, who's amazing. Because, <laughs> I mean, this, for the longest time, was my second favourite Turtles movie. Admittedly, I only had four to go on at that time, but <laughs> yeah. it's 
and I, like you, left the cinema. I mean, like that was a masterpiece. The animation was stunning. The story was great. It was great just seeing turtles on the big screen because that was my first time seeing turtles on the big screen as well. And I was, yeah, same. Because there are bits in this film that are absolutely gorgeous. The fight in the rain between Leo and Raph. Leo oh, yeah. in particular, how he's oh, lit by Raph the sign behind him. And the wet texture on his skin is beautiful. But then there's also other bits in this that look like those straight-to-DVD movies that are released when Ratatouille comes out or something. Yeah. Ratatouille me or whatever. Yeah, there's the other... The animation in it is 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 a bit baffling because it does feel like they spent a lot of it on that rooftop fight, which um, it does look amazing. But I do feel like they didn't really need to have it in the rain if that's going to cost them extra money that they could have used elsewhere in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's um, some other nice shots. There's like it's, yeah, when Leo's getting taken and Raph sees him from the yes. rooftop, and you've got that long shot. The way that cityscape's done with Raph stood on the building looks lovely. But... Mm. There's lots of bits of it that look really nice, um, but overall, I think a lot of the problems I have are to do with the character design. Like, I don't really like the sort of, and it's again, it's on me, not on the film. I don't particularly like like the angular faces, and I think that stands out even more when the turtles are so very round. Like they are the roundest thing that are rounded. <laughs> so, um, like, it, yeah, it's it's a baffling sort. Of a mixture of um of, of visuals that uh yeah i do like some of the monster designs though um so for anybody who hasn't seen it the basic plot of this movie is that like three thousand years ago a dude and his uh generals were trying to open up this power portal thing to a, dim- a different nightmare dimension trying to take over the world standard villain stuff and uh, what actually happens instead, and I must admit, I may have tuned out a little bit, so I've forgotten the reason as to why it doesn't work, but <laughs> it doesn't work. And instead what happens is 13 monsters pop out of it. Three of the four of the people that were trying to open the portal turn to stone, and the other one just has to be immortal and gets a bit depressed knocking around, doing a sad on his own uh, <laughs> for 3,000 years. Uh, until he decides, right, I'm going to put all the monsters back in the portal and that will make me mortal again and then I can finally die, <laughs> which is actually like a really, really dark ending to what is ostensibly a kid's movie. Yeah. Um, but like, so, okay, again, reiterating, love this movie, but there, there are two big things that have always bothered me about this film and the first one is that that plot doesn't make any sense for lots of reasons because... Why didn't he turn to stone? Or why didn't they all become immortal? Or why did only 13 monsters come out? And why did he only start collecting the 13 monsters like two days before he needs to put them back in a hole? Why are all the monsters in and around New York and very easy for him to get? Lots of questions that because none of this makes any sense. The other bit that really bothers me is that this movie sort of, like once we get that cold open sort of uh, Larry Fishburne narrated bit about Yodel, I think his name is Yodel. I don't know how you pronounce it because they're all American, so I don't know if it's a T or a D. Um, he, uh, after we get that like cold open story, 
we cut to the jungles of Central America where we find out that Leo's been on like a training exercise trying to become a better leader and he's become this like almost mythical figure, the ghost of the jungle who like protects the innocent, whatever. Um, and that's really cool. Yeah. But it all it bothered me it, it, for two reasons. The instant I came out of the cinema, I was like, first of all, why is Splinter sending Leo to a jungle by himself for a year to learn to lead people because he's by himself in a jungle? That doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. And there's a bit a bit later in the film as well where Raph points out that Leo never wrote to them. And I'm like, there's no version of Leo that would allow his brothers to think that he might be dead in a jungle somewhere. Like, he would check in every now and again, even if it was literally just to say, I'm still alive. <laughs> um, and rather disappointingly, I found out about seven years later that there was a comic prequel to this film that actually explains that Splinter didn't just dump Leo in the jungle for a year and go become a better leader and don't come on till you're ready uh, because that's an insane way to teach your children slash students anything. Um, it turns out that what he did was sent him on like a like a five-stop pilgrimage journey called the Fivefold Path, where he has to undertake like different tasks of uh, to like learn different skills or different or, like hone different qualities. Um, so for example, he has to go to Iceland and he does a test of courage where he helps uh, an endangered whale species escape from like uh, whalers um, there's a bit where he goes to Portugal and he has to do like a compassion task where he's rescuing children who are going to be like sold into slavery again it's quite dark for what is ostensibly a yeah. kid's series um, I can't remember what the other two were but basically he ends up in Costa Rica and the the, the thing there is that he's supposed to be learning about like community um, and that's why at the start of this film, he's been in the jungle for so long because he thinks he's failing at it. And in the comic, April tells him, you know, maybe you could look a bit closer to home for community, i.e. your family needs you, your donkey, about come back. <laughs> and that's why he decides to come back. But I don't understand why they didn't put that context in the film, because it would only take like two or three lines referencing this fivefold path for that to be because the whole film I was just like why what was he supposed to learn on his own in the jungle I don't understand yeah no. and like go on sorry yeah I was gonna say I really really do like that but like you say it makes no sense because I always Absolutely thought that's not. kind of what they should have done with Luke Skywalker in the Star Wars sequels and that and it's kind of a bit like later on they did it with the second Wolverine film where he's on his own in the hills isn't he Mm, mm. Um, but it's just, yeah. I uh, it, the thing with this. This film has ideas that it just doesn't know how to follow through on. Well, um, the thing is, now that I know about this prequel comic and the other like five places that he went to during this year that he wasn't at home, it's so easy to fit that into the movie without even adding extra scenes. You could literally yeah. add a line here and there, like have. Because uh, the other thing that bothers me about this film as well is that the thrust of Raph being miffed with Leo seems to be, well, he's been dossing in the jungle for a, a year, like, bleh. Like, you know. But that's not what he's been doing. <laughs> yeah. 
So, like, it doesn't make sense that Raph's so cross at Leo. It makes zero sense that Leo doesn't like the Night Watcher because the Night Watcher was doing exactly what they used to do when they were on patrol. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did like that when he confronts him and calls him vigilante and, you know, and you step off yeah, and like, that's exactly what Casey Jones was doing as well. All right, pot kettle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it's a baffling argument to have. And, like, when... When you get that sort of like Raph talking to himself, like in the Night Watcher helmet, he's like, Oh my god, is he giving me a lecture? I'm like, I'm on Raph's idea because this man has has come over from the jungle and been like, No, you're stepping on my turf and you can't do that. But like you don't own New York, Leo, <laughs> and you don't own vigilantism either. <laughs> I was say, so plus like... something the size of New York, it was always um George Clooney's joke about if Batman existed in the real world and was operating in New York, nobody would notice him. Mm. So I'm sure yeah. there's plenty of space for all those vigilantes. The that yeah, thing with the helmet, really. where he can barely hear what Leonardo's saying, I'm like, that's not a great thing for a vigilante. No, I think it's very funny in the context of that part of the thing yeah. of the film because it's very much Raph being like, "All right, shut up, Leo, who cares?" But in the context of vigilant vigilantism, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all because you should be more aware of your surroundings. Yeah. Although it does look really bad uh, vision wise as well. That that helmet, it's not. Um, and I refuse to believe that Donatello didn't know that he that Raph was Night Watcher because, as as Casey says at one point in the movie, you look like a big metal turtle. Yeah. Well, he looks a bit <laughs> like a rhino, though, with that helmet. I suppose, but I, he's I just got like a like big a shell turtle on his back. Kind of. Yeah. Hope I'm not disturbing class. Hey, Night Watcher, need any teaching assistance? Oh no, Casey. <laughs> I got this one covered, pal. Thanks, but no thanks. You think you own these rooftops? I happen to think you could use my help. And I could use a sidekick. You may have everyone else fooled, but you haven't fooled me, Raph. Yeah, well, guess what, pal? Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. How'd you know it was me? Wasn't that hard, man. You know, you look like a big metal turtle. Uh, is that obvious, huh? Oh, ain't that cute? He's trying to get away. Oh, looks like I got a sidekick. Yeah, right. You're the sidekick. What? Is it performance art? I don't get it. What was I supposed to do? Sit around, wait for Leo to come back and save the day? I mean, we haven't heard word one from him since Splinter sent him away on his little vacation. Come on, you think these lowlifes take vacations at the first sign of pressure? No. The criminal element of this city may be guilty of a lot of things, but being quitters ain't one of them. You know, I, I don't even care about Leo anymore. God, I hope he never comes back. Come on, aren't you being a little hard on the guy? I don't know, it's possible. I guess if I could live anywhere other than the city, I'd go too. But I could never leave this place. <laughs> I can't even sleep without the sound of the subway rumbling over my head. Because it comes from growing up with a house full of brothers. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just saying that if it was my brother, I'd find a way to work it out. But that's just me. It's just, it's ridiculous. This is what I mean about this film, is that there's just so much you can pick on because none of it makes sense. And a lot of it could, like, be fairly easily fixed. I mean, that couldn't because you can't not look like a turtle when you are, in fact, a turtle. I do like that design, Um, though, of the Night Watcher suit. I think it looks really kind of cool. I love the Nightwatcher suit, and I will also say that I love the Nightwatcher theme as well. Uh, yeah. The score to this movie is really great. It's by um, 
Klaus, Klaus, I should have looked that up beforehand, Bedelt. I meant to, I meant to grab um, the CD. I can't remember the CDs, the <laughs> score or the... Um, oh, well, annoyingly, they didn't, or as far as I was aware, they didn't release, like, the full score. Uh, it yeah, was I like, a here's a lot of the songs, and then there's, like, three bits of score, which is annoying because the, the rest of the score to the movie is great. Although I will say, 2007 Stace loved all the, like, emo, slightly rock Yes, songs alternative rock like songs. songs. That were... Yeah, yeah. Like the uh, over the credits, I think there was a Cobra Starship song, and I bloody loved them back in the day. Went to uh, went to one of their gigs and threw my fangs up like nobody's business. Um... <laughs> it's when so... Casey's getting suited up towards the mm-hmm. end, and they're playing a song that sounds like they wanted a Red Hot Chili Peppers song, but couldn't afford Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> so just got somebody to do something that sounds a bit like it. Yeah. Yeah, I know there's a P.O.D. song in there, which I think is really funny because P.O.D. awful, but I loved them at the time. Um, it's, it's a bit, it's, yeah, it's an absolute ridiculous soundtrack. Um, but yeah, like, so talking about things that I like about the film, I really like the brotherly bands. I think this film's very good at um, showing their personalities without it just being like, Oh, Donnie's such a nerd, and like, oh, Mikey doesn't doesn't care about it. Oh, he's so carefree. Like, they all have like good little jokes and bits and uh, fun little lines. Uh, one of my favourites is when um, after they fight that Yeti thing, and Mikey's super excited that they're like back in fighting shape, and he says, "Oh, give us like a ten out of ten for style and eight for skill, and uh, yeah, two for stealth." <laughs> Because they're like literally on the news about ten minutes later. I love the Mikey <laughs> bit where he's watching the night, uh, the night watch, a story on the news, and he just leans forward and he's like, ah, ah, ah. like an excited child. <laughs> yeah, it's so adorable. Um, um, I love that he's gone the Ray and Winston from Ghostbusters two route with his uh, post vigilante career of doing kids' birthday parties. Oh, do you know what? The jobs thing really tickles me because on the one hand, I actually think it's very funny. Uh, and it makes sense, too, that they would need money because I can only assume that they just mooch off of April for most of the time or dig around in dumpsters, which is really sad. Um, but all, all of the bits where Donatello's at work, he looks like the saddest man that's ever existed. I love that little montage of him doing text. Support. So true of life. <laughs> the... um. It's not that kind of phone line tickles me every yeah. time. <laughs> it's that, because um, that's not a kids' film joke, but I love it. <laughs> it's that and one of my other favourite funny bits in it, and it's not a turtles bit. It's the first gang that come out from the robbery before the night <laughs> with Tommy, where it's like, you know, I got a toaster. It's like, mm. oh, I love it's your like, work ethic. It's like, nice, Tommy. We all love your work ethic. <laughs> Yeah, I did, there are some really, really good lines in this film. I think it's um, it's actually genuinely it's well written from like a dialogue and a and a character point of view. I think um, it's yeah, it's, it's just, just such a shame a that there's just plot holes. Just it's just it's like a fishnet stocking of a movie. <laughs> See, part of me wonders because that skin crawl moment when the title card for the Weinstein Company flashes up. Uh, yeah, and part of me knowing how hands-on they were with everything, part of me wonders how much of that was them then going. You need the Larry Fishburne voiceover at the beginning. You need yeah. to have this. Lord of the Rings is really popular, so get a Lord of the Ringsy type. 
yeah well i think going on and... you could take this with a pinch of salt because my memory is terrible and I read a lot of things that go in one ear and out the other, so I might have misremembered this. But I'm sure I remember reading somewhere that this that they were they had like a plan for like three movies in this yeah. uh, like sort of universe, and that the reason they went so um, nondescript villain like they didn't go for like one of the villains that already exists in turtles law or whatever. And they went for this weird mystical, you know, 3000 year old monster weird thing was because this movie was actually more focusing on like the family than anything else. So the villain wasn't particularly important. And then the idea was that the second movie would build on that with more of like the foot and Karai and a potential for a shredder return. And then the third one, they were thinking city at war, wasn't it? Yeah, so that, well, they they had two ideas, apparently, and one of them they were going to have run concurrently with it, but then they ultimately scrapped it because it didn't make sense. So the idea was that they were going to have Michelangelo sort of defecting and becoming part of the foot because he became sort of restless within the within the family and he didn't really agree with like what whatever they were up to. Uh, and at the same time, they were also thinking of having a storyline where Raph, Leo, Donnie and Splinter all get demutated into like regular turtles and a regular old rat and Mikey has to sort it out. But then they were ultimately like, that doesn't make sense because how on earth can we do turtle brotherly fun bants, which is half of what people come to these movies for. The other half is the ninja. Uh, Like, how can we do that um, and have half of the well or like nearly all of the turtles missing for the majority of the movie that doesn't make sense yeah it's um, like when you go to watch a movie in the superhero movie or whatever and the character's depowered for a good chunk of it. it's like i paid my money to see superman do superman stuff i don't want to see a depowered yeah. superman you've got time to and waste on that in comics but not in movies and yeah and the third yeah. one was going to be the trigons and dimension x wasn't it uh, yeah, so apparently it was going to be Donatello was going to do something to cause a sort of invasion of Triceratons, which is uh, interesting to me because I like the idea of a Donnie-centric movie. I will never shut up about how much I want a same-as-it-never-was film <laughs> because, oh, my gosh, that that episode lives in my brain rent-free all day, every day. Um, but... So I, I like the idea of like where they were going and it's a shame that like obviously they didn't you know meet whatever criteria it was to get those sequels made. Um because I do think I actually would really love to see like a Triceratons like space adventure thing happening with the turtles on the big screen. Um because it's not a villain you get to see an awful lot of. Uh I don't know if they've ever been in a in a movie. Aside from the big Triceraton skull that's in the throne room of the Krang in Rise of the TMNT, the movie. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think they have either. Oh, so I think that would have been a really interesting angle. Um, and it is a bit of a shame, but like apparently that was why they didn't go like the whole hog with the villains on the first one, because the focus was supposed to be on like, you know, the family coming back together and blah, 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 which... Is yeah, fine. That, that didn't really land either, though, did it? Like you say, yeah, it was very I mean, it would... and Raph focused, and yeah, because like even I don't know about you, but if my brother had been off for a year doing dangerous trials across the world and hadn't even written once to tell me he wasn't actually dead, my reaction to him returning would be a little bit more excitable, I think, than any of their reactions when he comes back. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like Mikey's very excited but like after about 30 seconds he's like right where's my pizza yeah. like, <laughs> like it's very sort of like 
I mean, I do love, I do love a pizza. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, it's, it's like a, such a subdued reaction to him coming home, and like it still doesn't make sense to me why there's so much tension between him and Raph in this movie because. Again, one single sentence of context would have fixed this. I get the feeling, but this is just my own brain filling in the spaces, that Raph's actual problem wasn't so much Leo going on the training and like leaving them or whatever because he knows that Splinter sent him on the training so he couldn't possibly have said no. I don't know if there's a bit of a resentment there that he never gets to do those sorts of things. Um, yeah, because he kind of has like, that line with Splinter, doesn't he, after he's seen Leonardo get taken, where he says that I I, un- I understand now why you why you picked him, why you send him for all this stuff. Um, but it's it is kind of a line you could potentially miss. I th- yeah, I think you're yeah. right. There's a big problem with this is that it's doesn't actually tell you a lot of what's going on and it's not enough there for you to be able to work it out by yourself i think that's the problem yeah because i've said before on many a podcast about many a film that i don't need everything spoon-fed to me like i'm not an idiot and i kind of hate films that do do that like i recently watched like a i can't even remember which movie it was but it was like a relatively new like slasher type halloweeny type movie and when the reveal of who the killer was at the end happened it did that very annoying thing where it showed you like three or four scenes from previous in the movie to go see because like this was this guy see this this bit this was also this guy do you remember this bit now you can put it together that's how we got here and i'm like i know how you got there i saw the i saw the film like i don't need you to like i don't need that level of spoon feeding but this film feels like it, it does nothing for you and you're just like hold on like why is raf so miffed with donnie all the time why why did donnie and mikey get jobs aside from the fact that it's quite funny um <laughs> like why is leo so cross at the night watcher uh for doing what they used to do why don't they still do patrols like after leo goes yeah, like I why aren't they weird. still doing some sort of training or something like that doesn't make sense to me because sending leo to become a better leader but then letting everybody else just do whatever he's gonna be such a he'll have such a job when he gets back (laughs) wrangling them back into shape like it doesn't make any sense that's it because again splinter says we've been in hiding too long it's like but why why do you think literally without leo they'd all just die (laughs) They'd just be that crap. They'd, they'd just die. That's it. If they thought, <laughs> I, if they thought Leo had died, but you know his body had been knocked into the river and he'd washed up in Central America, don't ask me how, but you know, movie magic. Um, that'd be different. But yeah, he was sent on a mission by Splinter. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 so like, and again, it could it could be fixed by context. It's annoying that a lot of it is fixed by a comic that most people didn't even know existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is my big problem when people are like, you know, ah, yeah, but if you read the tie-in novel, it's like, no, it should be in the film. Yeah. It's like, yeah. fair enough, well, lay this... some stuff in a film that you can build upon in comics, novels, video games, whatever, but at the same time, everything I need to know should be in the film somewhere, even if I don't yeah, notice it I... the first time. I wholeheartedly agree. Like, I, I should be able to watch a movie, this movie, and not need any further 
input if I don't want it. What I think is 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 weird about that as well is that if you're going to have like a movie with like a tie-in comic that explains an awful lot of the missing chunks of your movie, like why wasn't it available at the cinema when I went to see it? Yeah. Why weren't you selling it there? Like why couldn't? Why wasn't that a thing that was pointed out? Why did I find out about that when the Michael Bay produced movies came out and people started talking about Turtles films again and somebody mentioned that comic that I like I will freely admit right I read quite a lot of fan fiction and I will defend this uh, until I'm blue in the face by saying that fan fiction to me is just like comics it's people who didn't create a thing but absolutely love it playing in the sandbox and some of them will be phenomenal and some of them will be crap and some of them will be not to your taste but still technically good and like, as long as you find the writers you like and enjoy, oh my god, fan fiction can be amazing. But I will say this: I've seen maybe one <laughs> TMNT07 based fan fiction that actually mentions the fivefold path as a thing that Leo had to do, like as like trials that he had to do to become a better guy, better leader. Yeah. All the others assume that he just titted around in a in a jungle for a year aimlessly thinking he'd failed at whatever Splinter was trying to get him to achieve because that's what the movie tells you happens. <laughs> and it's yeah. so weird. It is weird. Also, and forgive me if it is somewhere in the comics, and I because I've not read every single comic, April and Casey having a cargo hauling company? Yeah, again, I don't know. So I... Uh, I have read that comic, but it was a million years ago and I don't remember it now. Um, I feel like that, again, like the context clue in your head is that like, oh, of course, she works with antiques and things. But I don't get where we got there from she was a reporter, because if this is if this is a sequel to the live action trilogy, like, yes, she did live above. The antique store but that burnt down and it also wasn't her actual job <laughs> yeah well, yeah that's so, the thing because i know she's had different jobs in various things obviously she was worked for mm. baxter stockman in the early comics that was a job in that wasn't in the it? early comics and in and in 03 and, i think and that's in 03, where that yeah and then the reporter thing came in i think with the cartoon didn't it which i get mm. making that shift for that and that seemed to be the thing that carried over to the movie and the Michael Bay movies and the Mutant Mayhem, although she's a student at school mm-hmm. reporter kind of thing there. But yeah, this just seems so left field and purely there as a plot convenience. Yeah, because it's like, how else are they going to A, get April in the jungle and B, uh, get her involved with Winters? <laughs> the... Uh... Yeah, the the Winters plot still, it also doesn't make sense in the sense that, like, again, he's been planning for ages to reopen this portal so he can dump everything back in it and die. And yet it's like a week before this port, the the stars of Keegan are going to align again and the portal's going to open, that he's, like, starting to collect the monsters and the stone generals. (laughs) And I'm like, what are you, you've had 3,000 years I can only assume that all those monsters are drawn to New York because of something to do with the portal. Well, I wondered about that. Plot logic Um, I can come up with for that. Yeah, because so the idea, because one of the other like critiques that a lot of people threw at it was like, how have humans not noticed these monsters knocking around there? 
but the idea is that they're actually based on like urban legends so a lot of them like have been noticed by humans but never been like caught or whatever which was an excuse that never flew with me because these monsters are very out in the open just absolutely crashing around (laughs) smashing into things breaking into places dropping fridges on people like it's just (laughs) it's just absolute chaos and so like i have to sort of believe that something about that portal is not only drawing them near, but also riling them up somehow. Because there's no way, like, yetis are getting away with being like, ooh, do they even exist? And then that one's just like, I think I'll smash up a construction site for a laugh. <laughs> like, it doesn't make... The, none of this film makes sense, but it's so fun. I can't reiterate how much fun this film is. <laughs> well, yeah, because the other weird thing is that he tells, like, one of his generals that they need to get the monsters so they can put them back in the port and they can end it. And then that general goes off to the other general and goes, I think he's going to betray us. He's like, he literally told you what he's going to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't need to think about it, mate. He's betraying you. Well, it's not even betraying. It's He's doing you a favour. You just don't realise it because you haven't been alive for 3,000 years. But it's basically the equivalent of going, at at dinner tonight, I'm going to put poison in your food. And then him walking away and going, I think he might try and kill me later. I think I think he, he literally told you what he's going to do. There's no betrayal there. He's been completely upfront with you. And the whole will Chuck Leonardo in as the thirteenth monster. He'll never know the difference. Like, really? Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, even one of them says clearly not the thirteenth monster because he's clearly not the thirteenth. I he's got a bandana so and bit, a belt on for God's sake. The bit that I cried at at the cinema, right, was you know when there's that so that he gets hit with the dart and he's stumbling around trying to escape these stone generals but then he passes out and they're like yeah let's let's take him as the pretend 13th monster winters will never know and then it cuts to like raf running away all stressed because he almost gouged leo's eyes out with a sigh um and then leo does the most absolutely nightmarish scream oh my god the voice acting on that is horrendous yeah. because he just sounds in so much pain what they did to leo to make him make that noise is very distressing. And then obviously Raph starts running back towards Leo, like, holy crap, what did I do? Um, that bit, like, from from Leo's scream up to Raph dropping to his knees in the alleyway and screaming, no! <laughs> oh, my God, I was crying so hard. I was like, "He's getting, oh, no, they were, they had a big argument and now he's been taken and Raph's going to blame himself and it's all stuff. And I got quite stressed about it. Um, and Rich very clearly thought I was a weirdo. <laughs> it's like, it's, why are you crying at now? It's the oh. bit where the drug's kicking in and he sees the foot and the generals around him and then he looks at his broken swords. Oh, yeah, like, uh And he's just kind of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you know what? One question uh, that, that, that <laughs> I asked Rich and he was like, I don't know why you would even think that. But think of this, you're such a weirdo. Was uh, So Raph obviously goes back to the rooftop to pick up those swords. And then he goes home and starts throwing weights around because he's like, oh, no, I, I fucked it, I beefed it. What did I do? Why did I do this? Oh, for Pete's sake. Like, and, and Splinter's like, calm down. What have you done? And he's like, oh, no, I did something really bad. And then he just sort of produces the hilt from what looks like his butthole because <laughs> he just reaches behind himself. And just pulls out these two hilts. And I was like, where was he keeping those? Which was like, Stace, why are you doing <laughs> Why do you say such a thing? Well, I assume it's like the figures where you could open their shell up and 
they have a weapon <laughs> stored in there. Just pop a little, pop a little weapon in your shell. Yeah, it's got a little um, yeah, that weapon did, shell that did did worry me somewhat. Um, but uh, yeah, like it's uh, it's. <laughs> It's it's weird to me how emotional I can get about these turtle boys. Like I will watch a film where real human people go through real human things and not bat an eyelid, but then like openly weep when Raphael wakes up in the bathtub and has a little hug with Leo in the in the nineteen ninety movie. That's <laughs> a great Mate, I am going to London next week to see that on the on the big screen with a Q and A with the director after the film, and I cannot tell you how excited I am. I know I would I've have loved seen... to have gone, but I'm working. Oh, I booked the day off like as soon as they announced it on Twitter. I was texting my boss like, "Hello, I'm going to see the turtles, so you best prepare my annual leave form." Because <laughs> <laughs> I am. Gone, baby. Um, I'm so excited. I'm so I've never seen that on the big screen, and I am so so excited. No, I haven't. Um, I would love to see it on the big screen. That's still my favourite Turtles movie. Yeah, I think so. I can't remember where I rated TMNT, and I'll, I'll have to have a look on my letterbox in a bit because I have got a list <laughs> of all the Turtle stuff. And even though I think Mutant Mayhem is technically a better film, just for like pure like both nostalgia and the fact that like. I grew up on the cartoon, but the movie was what really sold me on the Turtles when I was a kid. So I was only born in 85, so I never read the comics when they came out. Um, and I, I only started watching the cartoon like when it was on like reruns and things a few years later. Um, so when I saw that movie, like, oh, my God, I, I ruined that VHS because I watched it so hard. <laughs> and uh, we had to get a second copy of it for me. Um so like that, it's just, it will always be my top Turtles movie, even though technically better ones may still come out. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think Mutant Mayhem is the better film, but I mean, I I'm pretty sure I talked about it with Steve Sims when we did our episode on that 1990 movie. But I remember just Turtles being everywhere. I remember being in London and seeing the big post picture of them poking their heads out of the sewer on that whole "this ain't mm. no cartoon" thing. And I was so excited yeah. for it. And weirdly at the time, probably more because it was the one we had taped off Sky, I watched Turtles 2 more. Mm. Which, as now, a 12-year-old, I really like Turtles 2 a lot. As an older person, I'm like, they're trying so hard from not to use their weapons, it's really annoying, and there's lots of other stupid stuff in that. I still really love Turtles 2, and I only have one singular problem with it. And it is a weird bit where, because you're supposed to like Kino, he's objectively like one of the protagonists of that film. And yet one of the first lines out of his mouth is him shaming a bird because she basically says no to him when he comes on to her. So he like fat shames or something. And I'm like, what is this? That's (laughs) the rest of the movie. Great. Has one of the best jokes ever committed to cinema. Little two raff. Wanna genuinely cannot stop laughing at that <laughs> every time I see it's perfect. Such perfect comedic timing on that. Um, but we're talking about TMNT 07. It's it's funny how literally everything I've said is like sounds like a negative. Um and yet this movie does rank really highly for me. It's like four, four and a half star I think movie for me. I think you can love a film and see its flaws. Yeah, it's like I always go when people ask me what the greatest film of all time is, and I'm like Footloose. It's like I know it's not a great film. I know it's not the greatest film, but I just love it, kind of thing. I've, n- I've never seen it. That's fine. That's fine. You will probably hate <laughs> it, 
I, again, it's got a lot of nostalgia packed into it with it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like I say, there's a lot of stuff this film does do well. I love Mikey skating through the sewers. I love that whole... Oh, it's great. How deep down into the sewers they go for, to actually get to their layer. I love their layer in this. I love that staircase that goes up where it was obviously used yeah, to be a train station or something. Really nice, yeah, yeah. It's one of the few layers that looks like livable. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because the one from the nineties movie just looks like a hole. <laughs> like when it gets trashed later in the movie, you're like, "Has this been trashed?" Who knew? It's kind of believable. Yeah, no. And then in the second one, they find the old disused railway station, don't they? Which I love. Yeah. Again, I loved that as a kid. It's like between that, I, um, Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor layer and Superman the movie. So I may want to live in the sewers or an abandoned <laughs> train station. I was going to say, I don't think you want to live in the sewers for <laughs> no, I don't. It's hygiene reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the, the things I do really there. like, <laughs> what I do really like about uh, TMNT is, um, as I was saying earlier, like a lot of the dialogue is like genuinely like fun. And there's some great, really silly, stupid jokes that really tickle me. Uh, one of my favourites being when um, <laughs> Raf is on the fire escape of yeah. Casey and April's apartment <laughs> and he peeps in and he says, Oi, Casey, meet me on the roof. And Casey goes, oh, what is it? Like, clearly meaning, what do you want to talk about? And Raf just looks at him completely baffled and he's like, you know what the roof is, don't you? <laughs> I love the idea that Raf thinks that little of Casey. <laughs> It's, it's Nolan North's delivery of it. It's the way yeah. the animated Raph is sort of pointing to the top Up of the to building. the roof. Like, yeah, like, do you know what the roof is? Like, that's great. Um, I, I that love the bit notes. where I love the bit as well, a bit later when um, when Raph gets uh, sedated and then he's sort of semi coming around and he's like, he looks at Leo and he's like, oh, are you still here? Go back to your jungle. And then. <laughs> And Leo just goes, well, at least his personality is still intact. <laughs> That's such, like, arsehole older brother behaviour. <laughs> it's that and um, Michelangelo's line of, I have nightmares about birthday parties. That's very funny. Um, and admittedly, when I did an episode of Podcast in a Half Shell about this film, I ragged on a joke in this that I've come to appreciate since, which is when, like... Donnie is ostensibly bigged up as being a genius. Like Leo even says it at the start of the film when April informs him that he's got a crappy like IT helpline job. And Leo's like, but he's a genius. Why would he take a job like that? But every time you see Donnie doing anything, really, it's it's stuff that's like super obvious. And I find that as an ongoing joke, really funny. And the best bit of it is like after, after Raph gets sedated and he looks at the little dart and he goes, oh, I'd say this has got Winter's name all over it. And they're like, oh, why? And then he just cheekily grins and goes, because this has Winter's name all over it and holds it up and it literally says Winter's. And I'm like, that's so stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid because it, Donnie looks so proud of himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. it. I absolutely love it. I hate Kevin Smith being in it. Um, it it no roils me up. I will freely admit that at the time I was a huge Kevin Smith fan. So part of me wanting to see this was the excitement of Kevin Smith being in a Turtles movie. And it wasn't until, I think even when I watched it, I was like, where was Kevin Smith in that? <laughs> yeah, he's the he's the diner guy, isn't he? Yeah. The, the 
the little monster yeah, that's, that's supposed his, to be based that's on the Jersey his character devil. name is Dino Cook. He has two <laughs> yeah. lines, one of which is muffled as the camera pans away from him. Yeah. And then the other one is panicking, thinking that Raph is, tr- is actually trying to rob him. Uh, which, to be fair, the, the way they animate Raph's body language, he looks threatening. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's handing a man back his, you know, discarded till drawer. Yeah. He looks like a man who's going to smack you in the face with it real hard. Um but yeah, like it annoyed me that he was in it, partly because I've never been like a huge Kevin Smith fan anyway. But also I've got like a minor beef. Uh, and again, this is totally on me. So it's not like, you know, take this with a pinch of salt. I absolutely love the Turtles, but I get incredibly jealous when people who are like, oh, I'm a fan of the Turtles, then just get to be in it, even though they're not very talented. And I'm like, look, I know I'm also not very talented. and I'm not a voice actress. I've done a bit of it, but I don't necessarily think i'm particularly good uh and there's no way there's no way on god's green earth i'm ever gonna be in a turtles anything but it always just like just brings out the green-eyed monster in me and it's like why does kevin smith get to be in this that's rude (laughs) like i don't get to be in it but kevin smith gets to be in it like why is that fair (laughs) it's one of those parts that it was such a nothing part it could have just gone to a job in voice actor how it got on the poster, aside from the idea of drawing people in, I guess. Again, is I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that's the there. Weinstein influence. Because yeah. obviously we've been into Miramax and the Weinstein company at that time as well. Yeah. Um, I will say though, I do think that scene is great because yeah. the um I even don't mind the cover of Black Betty that plays while Raph's having a little scrap with the little Jersey Devil thing. Yeah. Uh, in the kitchen. That's a very fun fight sequence. All of the fight sequences are actually really good. Um, which is like a, a bonus because, like, obviously, there are some Turtles movies where, like TMNT 2, where they weren't really allowed to use their weapons. Um, I do think it's a bit of a shame in, like, the sort of final boss fight. There's a bit where Leo sort of gets thrown into a case of, like, ceremonial uh, weaponry and then he stands up all like, yeah, come on, lads, have a go if you think you're hard enough. And he's just covered in swords. Uh, but nothing really comes of that. <laughs> I've got that note. It's like he looks like he's tooled up with all the weapons and then nothing. Yeah. And then nothing. And uh, and if I was him, I would have nicked one of them and took it home yeah. because Winters ain't going to need it anymore. He's dust, isn't he? Um, yeah, I, we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute because yeah. I don't get that. The, um, I do love Mikey watching the Foot Clan fighting the monster. Oh, me too. Like, lead on his arm. He's like, yeah, there are a bunch of foot getting the snot beaten out of them. Like, yes, absolutely um, love that attitude, Mikey. <laughs> and I do love the, when the crowd are looking up at the criminal that Raph has caught dangling from mm. the lamppost. And they're like, is it performance art? What is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great New York moment. I do like the fact that there's like, actually a bit of New York in this because um one of the one of the things I always found like really sort of almost unsettling about the 2012 series is how empty New York is because I've never been to New York but the one thing that I know is that it's always on yeah. <laughs> like there's almost always someone there that's, that's like, kind of the reason why I want to and don't want to go to New York because again I've never been either 
Yeah, same. I'm scared of New York because I find London overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, and I've well. I've been to I've been to London about eight times this year and I'm going again next week for this turtle thing. And already I'm thinking I'm not going back there for at least six months. I can't. <laughs> like like that many visits. It's just it's too many people, too much happening all the time. Like ugh. Um so yeah, I think I think New York might actually kill me if I went. Um but yeah, but I do like the fact that there's like actually like people and you do get to see a little bit of them sort of interacting with the outside world. Yeah. How do you feel about April having badass enough ninja skills to be holding her own against Karai? I have that note. I have that exact note because that really annoys me. <laughs> it's like, fair enough. She can be a really good fighter. But, <laughs> and in some ways, I question her being able to hold her own against a foot soldier, given that yeah, they're meant to have been the... trained by Shredder. This is the thing. They would have been trained by Shredder, but Karai in particular uh, would probably have been trained since she could walk. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, it's like the turtles. She shouldn't be able to hold her own against any of the turtles in training because they've been doing this since they were, like, old enough to hold... Like, what's the miniature version of a bow staff called? Like, the practice version that you have when you're teenage? Oh, I've forgotten. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, but, like, yeah, like, it, it, I, don't, I don't mind April getting her hands dirty in a fight, but it oh, sort no, of I bothers think, me. I think when I've she's nothing like against her being a kick ass character, but yeah. Yeah. And it's only a, like, blink and you'll miss it thing in that big fight, but it's like, no, you'd be dead, mate. Yeah, you absolutely did. Um, it's one of the things that bothered me about the 2012 season is because not only do they start like having Splinter train April, but then they double down and give her like psychic powers and stuff. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Like the ones that I want to see being awesome badasses are the turtles. I'm sorry, like that's who this show is about. <clears throat> um, it's like, yeah, that always... Casey shouldn't be able to hold his own against ninjas. Well, this is the thing that sort of struck me is that like again. It, if this hadn't set itself up as a loose sequel to the original trilogy, then I wouldn't have. This wouldn't have bothered me so much because I'd be like, "Well, this could just be an April who's been learning martial arts since she was 12. But if you look at Judith Hogue in TMNT nineteen ninety, she is not. She's clearly not somebody who's ever been fighting ever. No. Like she will try and defend herself, but the the best way she can do it is swinging her handbag around because she doesn't know. <laughs> and that's exactly how I would be because I've never done martial arts in my life uh, and if i picked it up when i was that age i don't think i'd be good enough to hold my own against karai <laughs> at all um but i do like the characterization of karai in this in this film because um she's a very interesting character generally uh, and i like the idea that um that she's honorable yeah. <laughs> um you know, so she might not necessarily be working for the right side, but she'll stay by the side of the people she's saying she's working with and or for um, because that's the honourable thing to do, even if that means teaming up with her enemies at the end, which it does. Um, like, I like I like that about her, that she's a, a kick-ass woman with principles. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that. Um, I like how the foot soldiers go to step forward to join them and she just holds her hand up and they start. I love that she commands that respect from them as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 like that sort of whole fight sequence. It's very fun to see Splinter having a scrap. Uh, oh, I love how I, much fun I, he's having with it. 
when he starts like batting the monsters back into yeah. the portal later and he's like oh we should do this more often i'm like yes he's so adorable i love you <laughs> um that the, the whole fight sequences are actually really good i i very much enjoyed there's a bit um where raf is fighting i can't remember which one of the stone generals because all of their names have sort of mashed into my head um but he's fighting one of them and he says something like see the thing about you immortal stone generals are you immortal and you made a stone god i sound like mikey it's <laughs> 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 just saying like the stupidest thing poor mikey everybody bullies him hey i need to go backwards slightly because i <laughs> i wrote down a note in capital letters that i forgot to mention so and because it's capitalized i have to tell you um they're having the fight on the rooftop right leo and raf and Leo's giving his spiel and they start having a little scrap. Now, it's mostly a fist fight at first. How did he not notice that the Night Watch had, had three fingers or two fingers and a thumb, whatever it is the turtles have? <laughs> he got punched in the face repeatedly by that two-fingered hand. <laughs> well, yeah, How is he not tweaking until he punches the helmet off that it's Raph? Yeah, it's... Because it's that whole thing, and it's like Casey recognised that it was Raph straight away. Mm. And it's like, your own brother doesn't recognise, like you say, he looks like a turtle, he's got turtle hands, he's got a shell on his back. Yeah. Alright, he looks like the rhino from Amazing Spider-Man 2 with his helmet on, but... Mm. He's very short as well, the turtles aren't like full-blown human size, are they? So it's... No, which is one of the things that really bugged me about the Michael Bay ones, is how tall the turtles were. But they're not giants. But they're giants for turtles. Here's something really, really weird, right? And this is, again, my bright... Welcome to the wonderful world of Stacey's hyperfixation on the Ninja Turtles. I don't have a preference for them in terms of height, i.e. whether they're shorter than human, shorter than your average human, or taller than your average human. But I do prefer Donnie being taller than everybody else. But I do have preferred eye colours for the turtles. And it annoys me that in this movie that three of them have brown eyes and Mikey has blue, even though the director said that was actually a purposeful choice because they wanted Mikey to look like the younger, more innocent one of the of the four. But you can pry a green-eyed raff out of my cold, dead hands <laughs> because he's got green eyes. He doesn't have brown eyes. His eyes are green. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know why that that is in my head. It just That's just how it is. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's yeah, like I say, it's little things plus preference. I, on the whole, I like the designs, and they were really nice action figures. Actually, I wish I bought some at the time, but I didn't because I was stupid. Oh I'm no, poor. I've got them. That doesn't help you. It doesn't help me. No. <laughs> no. Thanks for rubbing it in in my moment, ah! opening up and being honest. That <laughs> I'm right there. Um. Because I really wanted a Night Watcher one as well. Because I'm pretty sure you could buy him with the bike, couldn't you? You can, yeah, I've got that too. <laughs> well, thanks I'm for coming sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. It's all right. <laughs> I'm not really that sorry, if I'm honest. Um, my nephew had a load of them, and my sister in law gave them away to the charity shop. I was like, one, you're insane. That turtle's layer was like 70 to 100 quid on eBay. Yeesh. To, I'd have bought them. <laughs> I'd have had them. <laughs> Not for seventy to hundred quid, but you know, 
uh, I tell you what, I wish I had A, a lot more money, and B, a lot more space. Yeah. Because the amount of Turtles stuff, I mean, oh, my gosh, it's both the best and the worst time to be a Ninja Turtles fan at the moment because it just seems like relentless merch. <laughs> uh, you know, NECA are constantly releasing amazing things. Super 7 are constantly releasing amazing things. Um, what's, the, what's the other one? Oh, the Loyal Subjects ones. Yeah. A really cool, like holy cow! <laughs> See, I had to make just... a deal with myself that I would focus solely on the turtles themselves, unless it was a figure I thought looked yeah. really cool. Like I bought the Krang that Necker released. Um... I so I've done this. I've done the same, but only I've only come to that conclusion within the last like couple of months. Now that I'm realizing how little space I truly have, <laughs> so I do have a couple of like metal heads and a couple of Krangs and a couple of splinters and stuff. Uh, so I've got of loads shredders. of stuff up in the loft, but what I need to do is um, win the lottery, and then I can have a Turtles room, I can have a Superman room, I can have a James Bond room, I can have a Star Trek room, a Star Wars room. <laughs> You're going to need a really big house. <laughs> I am, yeah. Um, but my wife will be happy because it won't though. be all over the living room. Um, That's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sort of lastly, my big thing is winters turn into gold dust for no real reason so i again um was <laughs> it's the timing on this that makes it weirder because it doesn't happen like the instant the portal closes like it should it happens after they all have a bit of a conversation and then somebody says to winters like what happens now and then he turns into dust yeah. like that's so freaking convenient <laughs> um but, like, I wouldn't have minded him just, like, turning to dust. Because, like, obviously, again, ostensibly, this is a kid's film. So it's already sad enough that he's just going to die. So, like, I appreciate that they couldn't have gone the route of him, like, I don't know, crisping up into a decrepit old corpse and just falling over on the ground. Like, I get that. Um, what I will say, though, is that the one joke that doesn't land with me is the ongoing joke at the end of, like, Mikey inhaling the winters. Oh, what, he's in my particles. nose, he's in my mouth. He's in my because that makes me feel ill. <laughs> <laughs> like, I hate the idea. It's like the bit in The Big Lebowski where they dump the ashes and it blows back it in blows his back face. In their face, yeah. And I know that, that, that those aren't real ashes because it's a film, but still it makes me feel genuinely sick to think he's got dead person on his face <laughs> and so like the idea of mikey having it in his mouth and donnie's face as well when he's sneezing donnie looks purely disgusted it's very funny but the actual like that part makes me feel a little bit sick and that's not the note i want to end the movie on um which is great because actually then you do get the little the second of the obligatory rooftop run sequences yeah. that you have to have to make a turtles movie and it does where you get i love being a turtle love being a turtle yeah which um I'm a sucker for that sort of thing. Like, <laughs> I was missing like, Splinter saying that he made a funny, though. Yeah, me too. Especially if he hadn't even made a funny. Because um, I think that's what's genuinely hilarious about the 1990 movie, because all he does is express a preference for the word cowabunga, yeah. which is not a joke. <laughs> like, I think in the... Is it the third movie? He just puts a lampshade on his head, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> he's, so. he's going slightly mad in his old age. <laughs> It's the second one that ends with him doing the I made another funny. Because yeah, that used to be yeah. the thing when we were kids. If we made somebody laugh, like me and my brother would turn to each other and go, I made a funny. 
And if we did, if that then made him laugh, we'd do the, I made another funny. <laughs> I do, I do love a splinter making a funny. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah, but I do, but, like, I think it's a good line to end the movie on. And it is very, like, that, the animation on, like, the rooftop running sequences and stuff, and the, the even that bit where it pans across, like, the foot ninja fighting everybody outside. Yeah. Uh, Winter's building, like, all of that sort of stuff looks really cool. Um, it's just a shame that, like, occasionally this movie looks like a PlayStation game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's mm. like they spent loads of money in one bit and then we're like, we'll just fudge it with that. It's like the bit of the beginning. They knew that that rooftop fight sequence was going to be, like, the piece de resistance of this movie. So they <laughs> just it. put all of their time and effort into that, I think. Those Central American soldiers look absolutely awful. Oh, the they're dreadful. And... Awful. The animation doesn't quite work. And I argue with a lot of it as well. The lips don't quite match up with the... Yeah, no, they words. don't. I worry a little bit about the voice <laughs> acting there as well, because I don't know... I can't say for sure, but the accent doesn't seem like a legitimate accent to me. Like when they're going, oh, it's the ghost of the jungle. And I'm like, uh-oh, that sounds all, oh, no. Like, uh, and I will eat my words if somebody can point out that it was actually, you know... Uh, Central American people yeah. with proper accents, that bit, but it didn't sound it to me. And it's a shame as well because the way that Leo stealths around the jungle to get those guys is really cool. Um, and it's just ruined by the fact that they all look like kind of like garbage. <laughs> it's like they hadn't finished rendering them. It's like they were the standing models, and it's just I don't know. Yeah, it's... It's a... It's, I think all of the humans look a little bit off to me, and like I say, I don't know whether it's because there's such a stark difference to how the turtles look. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's something off about all of the humans. I think in it, um, which is a bit, a bit of a shame. But yeah, I mean, it's, I, like, they could, I it's like they could the pick an animation style for him, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. I returned from my training, master. I was so caught up in my own world, I forgot about everyone else. I'm sorry I failed. On the contrary, my son. Now you are much stronger. Your strength is needed here now. You owe me no apology. But perhaps you should talk to Raphael. Your absence has been particularly difficult for him. Though, he'll never admit it. I'm certain things will be back to normal in no time, Master. Good. Because until you can act as one, you are forbidden to fight. Yes, Sensei. I've missed you, Leonardo. I've missed you too, Father. I enjoyed the movie enough that I would have quite happily watched a sequel and uh, a, th a threequel if they'd well, have happened. That that was going to be where I came on to next, is what you would have liked to see in a sequel. Because I know one of the ideas was that they were going to mix CGI with live action, so they wanted Sarah Michelle Gellar, Chris Evans to play the parts physically. And then yeah. CGI animate the, which is eventually what they did with the Michael Bay ones. Mm. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that because it, as much as I enjoyed this movie, CGI was not good enough in the 
2000s <laughs> for us to be doing that convincingly yeah. I don't think um like I fairly recently watched The Mist and I can't remember what year that came out in 2008 I think yeah Hellboy 2 was okay, 2008. Yeah, so 2008 yeah sorry roughly the same time but like the monster in that just doesn't like it, it's so hard to be scared of the monsters and the stuff in it the mist is the most ominous thing because the mo- they look like like PlayStation graphics, and it's really sad because I know that was probably the best they could do at the time. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know necessarily that that would have worked as well uh, <laughs> as they would. Do. I mean, because like as much as I, I know a lot of people rag on them, I quite enjoy both of them. I like the Michael Bay produced ones. Um, some of the CGI in that is quite ropey, and that was 2014. So, um, yeah, like I, I, I don't. I think I would have said, you know, go fully, fully CGI or fully. Yeah, I just would have been animated if it was me. As yeah, a because for one as well, they could knock them out fairly cheap. I know 34 million is a lot of money, but in terms of, I mean, that's a Netflix movie budget now not even probably mm. yeah so and, you yeah. know it was a respectable amount it took worldwide probably not as much as they were hoping but but yeah. and the director's not really done much else he did that dylan dog movie with brandon rouse and he did the ratchet and clank movie which i remember quite liking the ratchet and clank movie but i'm a big fan of the games i've neither played the games nor seen the film but it is generally, I think, quite a terrible film. And yeah, looking on Letterboxd, everybody's like half star, one star reviews. I'm kind of like, yeah, it's probably fair, but yeah, yeah. I think you're being a bit. Yeah, well, like, <laughs> like I, I can't really argue with people who give this like a not particularly good score. Although I will say, because like, I do feel a bit bad actually that we ragged on the animation a little bit in certain parts, but there is a bit where legitimately the animation floored me and it was when in that rooftop fight scene after Raph knocks Leo down and then stabs his sign to the ground to the side of his head and it sort of focuses on Raph's face as he realizes what he's done and it's quite a slow transition from absolute rage to just complete and utter regret and it is beautifully animated like that is like a man who is running the gamut of emotions before he pegs it out of there because he's realized he's been a massive wally yeah um the animation there is just absolutely gorgeous (laughs) that's Um, it i think the turtles are really successful i think it's everything else around it april mm. and casey don't work for me they're in it quite a lot but they don't work for me as human characters none of the human characters work for me to be honest um, Karai works nicely. I like her look, but again, the voice doesn't quite fit with the lips. I think yeah. that's possibly the only one where the voice sounds like the character. Possibly could have been a little bit of a deeper voice, maybe, but. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, at the I same th- time, I thought, I've always I thought, thought Karai has a certain vulnerability to her, so maybe a softer voice is fine. Um, I I enjoyed it because I to me it felt it felt more impressive that people were, um, you know that her demeanor and her voice was such that she commanded so much respect without having to be like full blown, you know femme fatale, yeah, arsehole, and again, <laughs> kind of thing. Kudos to them; they cast somebody of the correct ethnic- ethnicity. 
yeah. in the role. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, an SNL actress from the 80s doing a very offensive... Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, Hank Azaria <laughs> and The Simpsons being a poo. Yeah. Which, you know, regardless yeah. of where you fall on that, even if you like that, it's, 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 it's wrong. It's not Fisher Stevens in Short, short Circuit. Like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which was a movie I adored as a kid and had no idea that he was not uh, an Asian man. <laughs> and when I grew up and like watched it again, like, oh, let's relive my youth. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's all right. He just directed the David Beckham documentary for Netflix, so he's he's fine. He bounced back. He's fine. He's and he was fine. in the blacklist. So. Um, we've been talking for such a long time about this film, and I've said so few things about it that I like, but honestly... I really do like this movie. I will happily watch it uh, fairly frequently. It's it's on like a fairly frequent rotation in my house, as are most of the Turtles movies. Uh, it's one of my comfort films. I think one of the reasons I like it, actually, is because it makes so little sense. You can just enjoy like the ride of it. So if you're feeling in a particular mood, which I have been quite a lot lately, where I don't want to really have to like pay attention or think all the time. <laughs> I just yeah, want to zone out. And it's not a heavy something. movie. It's, yeah, I really exactly, like this film yeah. as well. I mean, I put it when I logged it on Letterboxd today, I put it at three stars. I think it is a three star film. I get why some people would put it higher and I get why other people would put it lower. Mm-hmm. But for oh, me, I'm gonna it's a check perfectly my fine. I think you're you were four and a half. That sounds like me. <laughs> not not that I was letterboxed talking, but it's just it no, pops fine. up on the thing. So um but yeah, it's it's a perfectly fine film. It's got some really nice little moments in it, both nicely emotional, nicely animated, and it's got some really good bits of comedy. Yeah. But it's ranked fifth in my Turtles movies list on Letterboxd. Um which puts it above both of the uh the Bay movies and Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh which uh, I quite, I quite, quite like it to be honest. I mean, um, there's not any Turtles film that I've hated, hated. Even three, which is not a good film at all. Well, do you know I've said this to people before. I don't know if I'm the best person to actually review Turtles related stuff because uh, <laughs> because it takes quite a lot to offend me on a Turtles thing. Like it takes quite a lot for me to dislike um turtles related content because as long as you've got sort of roughly the essence of the boys personalities and you've got you know splinters there and april's there like i'm quite easy on the actual plots and things um (laughs) so like like i'll give you an example that there's there's one of the very few things that i genuinely dislike turtles wise was the um 90s image run of the comics because it was very much focused on being extreme and and, and yeah. cool like look at all this like blood and guts and people are using good like donatello's been blasted to bits by a machine gun and it was so focused on that that it didn't actually like even feel like a turtles comic like there's a bit in the very first issue where like raf gets like splashed in the face by some acid or he gets burned or something and he <laughs> there's a panel where he's like Oh, it really hurts. Like, how does it look? And, like, one of his eyes is hanging out and half of his face is off and the rest of his face is, like, dribble it. Like, it's it's like Phantom of the Opera stuff, right? It's disgusting. Absolute nightmare face. And Mikey just goes, like, oh, well, I don't think you'll be winning any 
world's sexiest man competitions. No, no in no universe would Michelangelo be that callous. Yeah, <laughs> like it's... his brother's face is hanging off and he's making a joke. No, <laughs> like absolutely not. That's 90s image for you, isn't it? I mean, it I really, really I know is. the turtles weren't really didn't begin life as a kids comic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they began life as a parody of Daredevil, Daredevil, and superhero comics in general. And those early black and white ones are quite—they're not adult, adult, but they're more mature reader comic. But they're not oh, overly yeah. violent or gory or anything like that or sweary. But I do mm. think once that. 90s turtles uh the 80s turtles cartoon happened they had a certain responsibility to keep that you could change the tone like the 90s movie is quite dark yeah oh yeah absolutely so you can change the tone but you need to keep it in that family friendly thing you're never going to appeal to with the exception of those of us who grew up with it and still hold it fondly in our hearts you're never going to appeal to that 30 40 50 year old audience with the turtles movie so you need to be appealing to the kids. Yeah. Because that's what won everybody over in the first place. It was the kids. We all went nuts for it in the late 80s and the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Like I say, as long as that sort of essence is there, then I'm, I'm quite easy to please. But when it becomes too much of the, like, edgelord nonsense, yeah. I'm like, no. <laughs> Come on now. Like, I'm even like that with the fan fiction when people are like, oh, what if in Rise of the TMNT, the movie, Leo never got out of the prison dimension and he goes slowly insane while he dies in there? And I'm like, Abs- what? <laughs> Why do you want to read this? What are you doing? <laughs> like, fair play. I'm not going to shame you for writing it because, you know, write whatever makes you happy. But I'm definitely not going to read that. <laughs> yeah. Again, if you want to explore dark things with turtles, that's the place to do it. And oh in the yeah, comics, exactly. like yeah, we're yeah. doing like Last Ronin and that. Yeah, that that is God, the place. that made me cry. Yeah. That legit made me cry, and I'm so worried about the Last Ronin video game that they're going to make because I'm I'm undoubtedly going to buy it, and I'm probably going to cry. <laughs> See, that was the problem with that Last Ronin is oh. it was perfect. It doesn't need the extra stuff they've been doing. Mm. I gave up on reading The Last Ronin in the Lost Years because I was like, oh, I didn't need any of this. I've got them, but I can't bring myself to read them yet because Last Ronin was perfect. Yeah. I loved the way it built up. You didn't know which turtle had survived initially, so you you assume it's like Raph or Leo. And, you know, no spoilers. I'm not going to say which one it is. It might be one of those two. But I loved the way it built that up to the mm. reveal of which turtle it is that is the last Ronin. Um, I just thought it was a really nicely done thing, but again, because it sold mm. so well, you'll get the Lost Years, you'll probably get a sequel at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. There's no shame in saying enough is enough. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've said it. I This is a perfectly enjoyable and watchable movie. Yes, it's yeah. not. It's not perfect. It's not the best Turtles movie. It's not the worst Turtles movie. It just sits somewhere nicely in the middle for me. Yeah, it's an enjoyable romp. It's like, it, and it's so quick as well. Like it's, it doesn't, you know, it's not like a three-hour movie you have to slog through. It's like a zippy ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
yeah and it's it's fun enough i think that even that i can forgive all of the absolute nonsense that's the plot <laughs> so i watched it with my youngest today and admittedly a couple of times he started playing a game on his phone but he said he did enjoy it but i think that's just how kids watch movies now as well yeah i think so too um but um, yeah no he said he really enjoyed it because he's he's a big mikey fan it's his favorite turtle partly because he's got the yeah. orange bandana but I, I I was a bit sad about Mikey in this film because he does get a lot of the good lines in terms of like all the jokes and stuff, but he never actually does anything that forwards like pushes forward the plot. So if you took him out of this film, it wouldn't matter a lick. <laughs> yeah, no, that's <laughs> make that a lick of difference. With that. Like you say, it is to Raph Leo, and they t- they were always two of my favourite turtles. Think, See now, I'm, now I'm a beating girl. Yeah, now I I don't pick a turtle. I like the different ones for different reasons. See, now I've always been, every iteration, Donatello's always been my favourite, but my second favourite kind of wafts around depending on which iteration I'm looking at, but it's more often than not Michelangelo. So so I always feel, I almost always feel gypped in movies because those two don't get enough to do, which is why I really enjoyed Mutant Mayhem because I felt like all of them got like a couple of good lines, yeah. a couple of good fight sequences. Um, you know, they all got to further the plot. Um, yeah. I love Mutant Mayhem, but that's not what we're reviewing. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm sure that'll come up in films of the year later. But, Definitely, but yeah. Sort of. <laughs> before we go, then on on Turtles, what's your favourite screen iteration of Turtles, either movie or TV? So this was almost impossible for me. But I, I've been thinking about this since you mentioned it to me yesterday, and every time I think I've settled on an answer, I, I move to something different because I think there's something to love. Uh, from everything. It's the next mutation, isn't it? <laughs> that is amazingly one of the few things I, I don't like turtles. What shocking, shocking as it is, and uh, turtle tunes. If you've ever, if you've ever had the misfortune of having to watch turtle tunes, it's really bad. Um, but I think, you know, gun to my head, I think I'd have to say the nineteen ninety movie um, yeah. because. I'm re-watching the 80s show at the moment and it's it's still actually really good. But when I was a kid, the thing that I always went back to was that film. I was nigh on obsessed with that movie when I was younger. Um like I like it was a, a very frequent watch in our in our household. Like I say, I ruined the VHS tape. I watched it that much at <laughs> first. Um and it's that's really where I think my actual like genuine love for the franchise came from. And that's what got me looking into the comics and, you know, watching all the other TV series, this is, this is, um, moving forward. So, yeah, I think, I think that's probably, and with how excited I am about going to see it in London next week, I think I have to sort of say that that's yeah. my favorite version. Although I will say that that version of Donatello is probably one of my least favourite versions of Donatello. <laughs> no love for Corey uh, he's, Well, he's, the problem is he's written like a Mikey point two, isn't he? So Yeah, that um, is the problem with that, is they are quite similar characters with the exception of Raph. Even Leo, to a certain degree, has that element. Yeah. Um, I Again, that's it for me. I loved the cartoon was obsessed with the cartoon as all like nine ten year olds were then um apart from one episode that always seemed to be on really got on my nerves which was the one where Raphael thinks he's dying so he becomes a vigilante <laughs> puts himself 
There was that one, and I think that might be the one where they had a different voice for that episode for Michelangelo, and it really stuck out to me as a kid. But oh, having been rewatching it now, there's been a couple of episodes where there's been like a different Raph or a different Donny. I haven't come across a different Mikey yet, well, but the different, different Donny. But... The different Donny was particularly jarring to me. I was like, oh, because he's trying to do an impression of Barry Gordon, and it's not good. <laughs> I, sir, am nine years old. I'm not falling for this. <laughs> you cannot pull the wool over my eyes. Actually, I might have been 10 by that point, Will. Or even 11. But anyway. But yeah, no, the mo- that 1990 movie was the perfect blend of the cartoon and the comic, which I didn't get into mm-hmm. the comic till after that. The comic I was reading at the time was very much the one based on the cartoon. Yeah, yeah. But it's got that nice tone. It's a bit Weird to say, it's a bit like what they did with the Super Mario Brothers movie, the Bob Hoskins one, where they just sort of darkened yeah. it up a bit. And, you mm-hmm. know, whether that was successful or not is a discussion for a different time. <laughs> um, but, you know, it felt like they were trying to do something different with it, so I wasn't just watching the cartoon being done in live action. And those suits were amazing. Do you know what? Those suits still blow my mind. Like, I watched this film earlier this year <laughs> i tell you i watch it far too often um and i still think it's phenomenal how much those guys were able to do you know flips and kicks and all the like stunts and stuff when they've got giant heads on and like a bunch of animatronics in the shell <laughs> like it's truly um, i met a couple of the guys who were in some of the suits at uh, london film and comic con a few years ago and um one of the guys nick palmer actually turned up in his michelangelo suit but minus the actual like animatronic parts and he was posing for photos uh with people in the suit which i thought was brilliant um yeah, wasn't but he was his face from turtles 2 you said the character name earlier and it's completely gone from my head Pizza delivery boy. yeah he was in one of the suits in the first one wasn't he he was yeah i can't remember which i can't remember which one so i think nick palmer who i met was mikey in the second one um but he was saying that like yeah he was like it was genuinely one of the hardest jobs he ever had he said because it's like a whole different center of gravity you're working with when you've got all this crap on your back <laughs> like um and then of course you know the head and like you've got to take into account that that's like taking up x amount more space above your own bumps oh, and like, I, i'd hate it oh i don't think i could do any sort of that work because i'm a really sweaty kind of a person like i only have to do like a half a second worth of physical activity and i'm sheening with sweat so oh, i, I, would I just sweat looking at pictures of them in the there. costume so yeah, yeah like, I know same. it's not perfect. You could occasionally see a human face in it, but fair Scary, play. Yeah. It's just you look at what they did then. I like, know over so thirty good. years ago. Yeah, I mean, so good. Jim Henson knew what he was, or Jim Henson's workshop knew what they were doing with that, mm, and you can absolutely. tell you from like one to two to three, just the cheapening of the suits, and it really shows. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> it really do. I don't know why they develop liver spots, but that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> that's it. Living in the sewer, I suppose. But awesome. Uh, Anything you want to plug before we go? or Just have a listen to my podcast if you want to. If these are the kind of noises you enjoy hearing in your ears, uh, just have a look up of Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour, where every month me and a guest co-host will talk about the films and 
TV and books and comics and video games and whatnot we've been experiencing of late. Uh, and uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> that'll you kind, do. It. You kindly had me on for an episode. I did. Yeah, fun. it was very much fun. Um, but yeah, no, I I will put all the links in the show notes. Um, apparently, people do go to the show notes, so <laughs> I've had a few people. Go, I've gone to the show notes, and that's how I discovered this. So. They they don't go to them on my show because nobody really listens to it, but um, it's fine. I don't worry about it. I, I just I, po- I podcast more because I like talking than anything else. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. I uh, I really enjoyed that. Thank you for having me back. I um I, f- I feel sad that I didn't bring any uh greasy muscular men to the table this time. Well, you did. They were just green and had a half shell. That's true. Yeah. Because them Ooh, turtles are pretty ripped. Great. So. They really are. I did Inktober this year, which is not something I usually do because I'm not really an artist. And I drew like some of the different iterations of the turtles. And if there's one thing I discovered when I was drawing all of them is that for teenage boys, they are all so goddamn ripped. (laughs) (laughs) Like the Roy's boys especially are just all goddamn muscles. It's insane. Um, Anyway, shut up, Stace. He's trying to end the podcast and go... (laughs) Yeah, it got a bit weird then. <laughs> it's always weird when I'm here. Well, <laughs> that's what that's why I invite you back. So, makes me sound positively normal. <laughs> yeah, I do that for a lot of people. To be fair, well, it's it's a service. Indeed. <laughs> awesome. Cheers for that. Take care. Thank you for having me. No worries. Bye. We live together, we train together, we fight together, we stand for good together. We are ninjas. We strike hard, defend, protect, and fade into the night. And there ain't no bad guy or monster gonna ever change that. That's what's important. And that's why we'll always be brothers. Oh, I love being a turtle. That was TMNT. And why not? I'd like to thank Stacey for joining in the episode to talk about the film. Check out the show notes for the links you need to check out Stacey's Pop Culture Podcast and Stacey and Barry in the Morning Podcast as well. At the time of recording, TMNT is available in the UK on DVD from Warner Brothers. We put a shout out on the socials for your thoughts on and members of seeing the film, and we had a few replies. Mike Swaby on the And Why Not Facebook group said, Best movie other than Mutant Mayhem so far. Rob O'Connor on Twitter said, I remember it being fine, it got me back into TMNT, and I rediscovered the 1990 trilogy. Kind of an odd for film in retrospect, very dour. I don't know if they did enough to attract new young fans. And August Aguilar, also on Twitter, said, I remember watching this movie and was surprised how good it was. I thought the animation style was really cool and it felt like a great TMNT movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so it definitely calls for a rewatch. Thank you for the comments for this episode. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the film, you can get involved in the conversation wherever you see this episode posted on our social media channels. You can give us a follow on Threads, Blue Sky and Instagram, or why not join the And Why Not group over on Facebook. Not only will we be kept up to date with what episodes are coming up and have a chance to contribute to them, but we also post our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search And Why Not Pod on social media or check out the links in the show notes. 
Thank you for the positive comments and feedback on our recent episodes. It truly does mean a lot that you enjoy listening. If you enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. And why not give the series a follow or subscribe over on Acast or wherever you listen to the episodes. If you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful of a rating or review if you have a second or two to spare. Or if you don't, we're just grateful that you spent the time listening to us. Thank you. If you missed any Amway Not episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or on our website at hauntednerds.com. In the meantime, we'll be back on Tuesday the 28th of November when I'll be joined by Andy Clift as we do a ranking episode of the 13 Cinematic Star Trek Adventures. But until then, this has been a Nose Who Themselves production and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thank you for listening, and remember, I'm not playing hard to get, I'm telling you, it's not that kind of phone line. Bye for now.